So Money, episode 1511, clinical psychologist, Dr. Risa Riger on the four steps to reframing your limiting financial beliefs. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Whatever you do is better than doing nothing. Yes. Any, anything, as small as it is, is better than doing nothing because small beats zero every single time exponentially. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm Farnoosh Tarabi. Joining us today, Dr. Risa Riger, who is also known as the expert in change. She incorporates neuroscience to facilitate positive change for her clients in her work with companies and leadership teams. She has 30 years of clinical and coaching experience, and she's on the show today to talk us through our limiting financial beliefs, how we get them, how we transform them. She's got advice for any of us struggling with a scarcity mindset or or other mental roadblocks around money, especially now with so much uncertainty in the economy. And I love this, the importance of validating our feelings, even the bad ones like fear, sadness, and anger. Here's Dr. Risa Riger. Dr. Risa Riger, welcome to So Money. All right, this is going to be a good one. Everybody put on your seatbelts or maybe, I don't know, what, what's the mood we want to set for people? It's not seatbelts. It's like, take the sunroof down. We're going to talk about how to free ourselves from any sort of limiting beliefs that we have around money. I've had plenty of them. Dr. Risa Riger, welcome. And thank you so much for offering to come and join us. You're in the audience. Now you're on the show. Farnoosh, I am so excited and thrilled to be here with you today. And I know that we're going to have a conversation because this is really what it's about, right? It's being in conversation that's going to be so important and helpful. So thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. And we should let our audience know that how this came to be, you listen to this show, you follow the work online. And lately, a lot of what I've been talking about, money and mental health, intersects with what you work on, what you have spent 30 years of on your clinical and coaching practice, helping clients as young as young kids all the way up to the adults. You have a method called the disruptive self-ownership process. Part of this is unwinding, identifying and then unwinding from some of these limiting beliefs that we have as they pertain to all aspects of life, but I would love to focus on the money ones with you while you're here. This disruptive self-ownership process. Disruptive is like often a word associated with the business world and people who are disruptive startup founders. They wear that like a badge of honor, but you think we should also apply this to our personal lives. Absolutely. And one of the things is that, you know, we have our phones, we have our apps, and we're always updating and changing and updating. And the thing is that we need to disrupt and update the narratives of ourselves. We don't wear shoes that we wore when we were eight years old, but we continue to tell ourselves stories about ourselves that really don't fit anymore. So it behooves us to really take that look take the steps. And I have, it's a six step process that I have created. I know it works because I've been using it and I've learned from my practice what 
is it that helps people change to make the change that are important and meaningful in their lives to live the life that they want to live? So it begs the question, when we carry these beliefs, these myths from our past, from from when we were younger, how does it manifest as adults? When does it show up and actually prevent us from making the right moves? Can you give me some examples? Tell us about how you have seen it show up in your clients' lives. Oh my gosh. It shows up in all sorts of ways because it's oftentimes these patterns that people notice and they feel like they're repeating it and they seem to not be able to get to where they want to be. They don't seem to have the personal or professional success their hearts and their minds and their souls want. And so to be able to use the process for disruption and, you know, it happens in finance and we're certainly going to talk about that more. It happens in finance. It happens in relationships where people can't seem to have the relationship they want to have. Things don't seem to work out at work the way that they would like. They feel empty and not enough in themselves. They feel like their friendships aren't where they would like them to be. So it can really manifest and affect you at all different phases in your in your life and and the great thing and i think this is so important to hear is that positive change can happen at any point in your life that we are built for change and with the disruptive self-ownership process that it shows you the steps to courageously know yourself inside and out recognize mm-hmm. your pain points and your strengths acknowledge them and utilize that knowledge to connect with your power and live the vibrant life that you envision. And these aren't platitudes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let's talk about applying these to our financial hangups and the financial limitations that we may have. And I, I mentioned earlier that I had, I harbored more than a few of these uh, growing up. I write about them in my next book, specifically this myth that I held on to for dear life, you know, that if I want to make more money and be quote unquote rich, that it was going to come at a cost to the relationships that I had, to the family that I wanted, to the quote unquote normal life that I wanted. Because in my, from where I stood, those who were rich live these sort of over the top extravagant lives that were sometimes dismissive of their interpersonal relationships. Um, They didn't have good relationships with their kids. They raised kids to be spoiled or, you know, they didn't have an appreciation for life. And I was like, I never want to get to be like that. And I could see how also society looked at these, quote unquote, these people, right, who are rich. We tend to demonize wealth, wealthiness in this country. You know, we can talk a lot about like why that is, but here I am believing this, even as I'm the breadwinner in my marriage, even as I am somebody who believes firmly in the importance of like asking for more and um, being an ambitious professional, I still, for me, felt very insecure about making more money, more than I I was, because I was like, well, we have enough. And if I want more, then what does that say about me, that I don't have my priorities figured out? Money's not everything. And so just maybe you could work on that, you know, like here, I put that on a silver platter for you. I don't think I'm alone in that mentality. How would you work with someone like that, that has this financial narrative stuck in their brain or anything else that's maybe, again, rooted from a past life. My parents probably had something to do with this and the culture that I was raised in. And 
you know, you just handed this to me on a silver platter. Yep. I mean, I, could, I couldn't ask for more. <laughs> Thank you so much. I just want all the audience to know that, yeah, we did not pre-do this. Like this is just yeah. happening spontaneously. So apropos, I want to zoom out for a second because this scarcity mindset or other mental block roadblocks, right, are really because of beliefs that we have about money. And that's what we're going to focus on because beliefs have a powerful hold on you. Beliefs are the driving force of your actions and it's imperative to identify them and you have started to identify them. What you're talking about, Farnoosh, is like when we think about for a second, when we think about like what's some of the like the sayings that we have about money, you know, one would be like on one end and on the other end. One end is like filthy rich, right? Mm -hmm. They're filthy rich. And so if you're mm -hmm. filthy rich, right, I mean, that's, I mean, it's very weird how it's all like set to cleanliness. Filthy rich, dirt poor. Those are the sayings. And that somehow if you have money, if you have wealth, some degree of wealth, that it's been nefarious, that you're a person without values, you're a person without a heart. It's the only thing that you care about, right? And that, and, you know, and particularly if you're a woman, making yeah. money. And if you're a woman and I was a psychologist, I have my private practice and a woman making money, a mom who's a woman making money, there are all these different layers and they can really just, you know, stop us, stop us in our tracks. So here's going to be the first step of the process. And so what happens is that before anyone can have a chance to say no to you, like you need to get through your own no. You need to get through your own limiting belief. And having this belief is a limiting belief mm -hmm. that having money, having some degree of wealth and comfort makes you and invalidates you as a person. And you're now a, a kind of a caricature, a nefarious caricature. Right. So step one is to identify one of your outdated beliefs about money and where it came from. And do you remember what did you hear about money growing up and how did that pertain to you? Mm -hmm. So did you hear about yourself like, oh, she always makes bad decisions about money, that there's never enough, that we shouldn't talk about money, that, you know, she'll she'll never open her pocket to take out a dime or that, you know, she spends like there's no tomorrow and has no appreciation of what a dollar can buy or how hard it is to earn a dollar. And so that's a, really the first place to start is that to really be able to identify what your beliefs are where you heard them, yep. and what is outdated. And so what is no longer true about what you've heard? And the kicker here, before I'll turn it back to you in a sec, the kicker here is that beliefs can exist in the face of evidence to the contrary. Can you expand on that? Because as you're speaking, I'm like, this makes a lot of sense. But for the person who may even have a hard time differentiating fact from fiction, it's hard because if you're like, oh, well, this is a belief, but also I, I see evidence of this in the world, right? So how do you detach from that? How do you go and find the other side of this, which is that, no, there are plenty of people who are billionaires, who are philanthropic. There are people who, um, per, you know, I'm using air quotes, followed a passion and made the money and, uh, you know, they have balance and they, all of the things that we know can be possible. We just may not have been exposed to it, but yet here you are trying to really believe differently. How do you do that? How do you change? The first step is that you need to go into yourself 
And you need to go into yourself and do your own self-assessment so that even if there's a, uh, you know, even if there is someone who has made money in ways that you wouldn't wouldn't be in keeping with your values, it doesn't mean that you're going to do that. It doesn't mean that that's your path. And so that's that's what the first piece of it that's so important is that you need to figure out before you look at the bigger context in the bigger world is start with you. And so the first is to identify what a belief about your about yourself, what you've heard, a belief about money that is that you don't believe is true anymore. The second step here is to understand the effects of that belief. And here we're talking about finances. So understand the effects of that belief on your finances. So how do you think that self-limiting beliefs have affected your finances? So for example, if before you said your belief was that there's never enough And then so if you felt that there was never enough, then you might not invest in anything. You might not buy anything. You might not buy a home. You may be totally risk averse. You may be too afraid to take a step. You may live super frugally, live in fear, be in such stress and in a constant state of stress. And when that happens, one of the important um, byproducts of that is avoidance, right? And so what's the self-messaging of avoidance? The self-messaging is that you can't do it, you can't manage it, and that you're not enough. You have to avoid it because you you know you can't. Mm-hmm. And it's enormously disempowering. It takes up your energy and it interferes with your the possibility of your taking positive action. It's like I tell my son, because he can get into these spirals of, and you've worked with children. Um, I have children. Too. And you have children and you work with children. Yeah. But, you know, kids tend to do this as adults do. And maybe they get it from me because, you know, I can have a bad day. But he'll say things like, why do bad things always happen to me? I don't have any luck. This is the worst day ever, you know, and it's 11 a.m. And, yes. and I say to him, you know, Evan, what you say is what you believe and what is true. In other words, you have the power here to change the story. If you believe that this is the worst day, guess what? It's going to be the worst day. But if you're willing to say, you know what? This didn't go my way, but I still have the entire morning and afternoon to find happiness, to create my own joy. Mm -hmm. You know, no one ever told me that growing up. So I like to think that I'm giving him a little pep in his step and that when he's older, he'll be able to have the more maturity to deal with adversity and challenges in his life when they get bigger and the stakes are higher. But we do tend to do this to ourselves. And, And just to reinforce what you say, like, because yes, isn't it true? Like what you ultimately believe, and this isn't woo woo. That becomes your reality. Not only that, but you're teaching your brain. You're teaching your brain over and over and over again. You're teaching your brain and your son. And he does what lots of people do. And you don't have to be a little kid to do that. You can be a a grown up person doing that, which is that going when you go to the space of always and never, you're putting yourself into another ring of purgatory. Mm -hmm. There's without a doubt And so because those are, you know, those are finalities. This always happens. It never, you know, it never. And so when you hear never and when you hear always, there's only certain because what you're doing, you're training your brain, right? You're teaching your brain. 
like, let's watch for this so that you only see what's going to validate you because you don't want to turn yourself into a liar. Right. Mm -hmm. So you want to be consistent. And so you'll miss out. You'll miss out on more positive things. You'll miss out on a moment of joy, but also like going in and speaking to the always and never Mm-hmm. And saying, well, if you have, it's your worst day ever. Okay. <laughs> no, what's good is like you said that yesterday, was it the worst day ever? You ca- you start to, yeah. you know, this happens in yes. a pattern usually. It's not the only time he's ever said no. that. And so yeah. one of the best parenting advices I ever got from a friend who has older daughters who are in college now, but one had a lot of anxiety growing up and even more so in like high school years, that's when you're yes. like testing a lot and getting yes. ready for college, like anxiety around failing and not passing a grade. Or and her dad would say to her, "Show me an example of when you were all this this level of nervous, and then what you predicted happened." Yes, remembering the past sometimes can be helpful. The immediate past, right? Like last week, you said this was it the worst day ever. Remember, we mm-hmm. went to Shake Shack in the afternoon. Then you said this is the best day ever. Sometimes yes. those little uh, shortcuts can be can get them out of their own head. Another shortcut is like, let's rate this, Mm -hmm. right? And so have people, you know, particularly kids and adults also rate this so that you have some, you know, have some grounding on a scale of one to 10. What's this one? Well, what about the other one? And so it starts to have perspective and that, and that no matter what it is that you're going to get through it, Mm -hmm. no matter what it is, We've been through tough times, tough days, disappointments, and look at we're here now. We've gotten we've gotten through this, and so you're bringing us to kind of the third step, which okay. is you're just like moving this. You know, you're Good just moving this along. Yeah. Okay, so the third step is is to disrupt and update the belief. And that's what you're talking about with your son. Mm-hmm. Is it really the worst day? Maybe it's not the worst. Like, what's a worst day? What yeah, is worst I say, you know what's a worst day? You left the house here without your pants on. Or, you, you know, you come home and the roof's on fire. But that, but that you start to help people, you know, and help yourself, you know, as adults, help yourself and for, you know, help your child, help yourself. I help myself this way also is, you know, to get perspective and to see, well, where am I really on this continuum? Mm-hmm. So writing a new and updated belief from, for example, it's never enough to, I have impact on my finances. So when you shift from it's never enough or it's never good or it's, you know, this is how it is to I have impact on my finances Mm -hmm. and then identifying supportive evidence for that belief. Now, the kicker here is that, you know, we talk about the economy and the state of the economy now, and we can't control the world economy. We can't do that. But just because we can't do that doesn't mean we can't do anything. Right. Right. So where what's your something? What is it that you can control? 
And so remember, I was saying that uh, beliefs exist in the absence and exist in the face of evidence to the contrary. And this is where we do a reality check. So take an assessment of yourself and your reality. You need to write it down. Look for examples of places where you really do have impact on your finances. You can have control over where you live. Are you in a neighborhood that you really is, is affordable? Maybe it isn't. Maybe you need to make a shift. Maybe you don't make to, need to make a shift. Maybe you really, when you really sit down and look at it, you're really in a better spot than you thought that you were. And so look for mm-hmm. examples. And is there someone that you can trust? Because sometimes we're like so caught up in our own heads that we may not have perspective anymore. Is there anyone that you can trust to come in and to run this by with? And then that may be, you know, getting you like head on with another belief, which is that you don't talk about finances. That's a big one. People will talk about their sex lives before they'll talk about finances. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you can't talk about money, that's a dead end. You cannot move on from there. You cannot assume that you're going to have a financially healthy life with yourself, with a partner, if you don't talk about it. This money doesn't work itself out. It does just, you know, it's just a thing. It is just this inanimate object. It's only when we interact with money and we understand money and we appreciate money and we honor money, ours and that within the context of a relationship, then money provides the gifts, gives us the security that we want, the financial independence that we want. It's not to say that it's going to be a straight line, but you got to at least start talking. So step number four, I'm I'm loving this. And by the way, thanks for the free therapy session. (laughs) Anytime, anytime. This is, this is, is, someone, there was a joke, there was a joke online that was like, anytime somebody says, whenever somebody says, uh, my, according to my therapist, like if I'm in public, you know, I lean in because that's free. <laughs> that's free advice. Absolutely. We should <laughs> lean in as much as possible because there's always something that we're going to learn. And that also know that the clearer that you are, the more agency you will have. Don't step away from clarity. It is going to feel uncomfortable. Don't confuse uncomfortable feelings with bad feelings. Discomfort is there uncomfortable, uncomfortable yes. feelings are part of life. And it doesn't mean that uh, that's how it's always going to be. That goes back to always and never and our childhood feelings that if I'm feeling down, if I'm feeling worried, if I'm feeling something that that's how I'm always going to feel. And that's really not the case because feelings actually do change. And so step four, and this is the step mm-hmm. where a lot of people miss, like they tell you, okay, do this, this, and this. Okay. You're good to go. The fourth step is where the juice is. Once you've identified and you've written a new belief and you're thinking back to it, the next step is how do you implement it and what do you do from sliding back into your old mindset? Because remember, you have to keep teaching your brain something new. You've taught it this other belief Mm -hmm. a million times, and now it's time to teach it something new. So you need to implement your new belief Write it down, write down your new belief. If you need to write down what your old belief was and have your new belief in contrast, do that. Now, don't just write it down and leave it somewhere. Stick it on your refrigerator, stick it on your mirror when you're brushing your teeth, have it on one of your screens, put it in your purse, stick it in your wallet. When you're slipping into 
that, you know, that other way of thinking and slipping into a belief that's going to keep you prisoner, that you're going to be tying your own hands and stopping you from seeing perhaps that creative solve that you could have, trying something, reaching out, having, you know, seeing possibility where all you saw and felt was being stuck. Remember to go and do that. It's not for nothing. Well, something that we try to do every day, if it's not every day, it's at least once a week. Um, it's it's top of mind, especially on the days where he uses those never ever's, you know, always is. We start making a list. We don't write it down, but we make a list. What are all the amazing things or even just fine things that you have that that you're happy for? Right. Right. Um, really just giving him, it's like a gratitude practice, you know, you can call sure. it, it's a gratitude practice. It's a recognition of your privileges. Even as adults, we need those reminders because we start to take things for granted and we start to lose sight of these resources that are not free, you know, that we have earned them or they have, we have been lucky enough to get them and they can be easily, we can have just as much good luck as we do bad luck. So honestly, for me, it's a great, these are all good for me too, because with my children, it's a constant reminder to pause. You know, as I'm teaching them, I'm, I feel like I'm reinforcing it all in myself as well. Having children is an extraordinary opportunity to reflect on yourself and mm-hmm. to think about when you see them mimicking, because, you know, my, my girls have grown, but you have that opportunity to hear this like littler person say something that either you have said or that they get the feeling about it from you. And then when you mm-hmm. look at it on them and you go, oh boy, uh, I don't think I like this very much, that it gives you the opportunity for growth and not just you, Farnoosh, but, you know, for all of us, me included, I mean, I my wish and my determination is to grow every single day. And certainly having this conversation with you, this is my this is my doable for today mm-hmm. is learning from learning from you. And uh, and that it also gives you that opportunity to rework something that you want to do for them and how you want to do it. And so it really is a win-win just across, you know, across the board. And so the doable, sometimes what happens is that we do not act because we're looking for the perfect thing. We don't act because we think it's not enough. It's like, it's so nothing. Who cares? It's not a big deal that it's not enough. And so what happens is that we stay in the, the, we stay where we are in that same spot. And this is what I'll tell you for sure. And I know this period, which is whatever you do is better than doing nothing. Yes. Any, anything as small as it is, is better than doing nothing because small beats zero every single time exponentially. So don't get yourself stuck in the, unless it's big and splashy, that it's really like, ugh, you know, it doesn't matter. It does matter. It matters. Mm-hmm. It teaches you. It sets up something new in place that you can build on, grow from, and really learn to appreciate and see the benefits of it and then leverage that. Not just for that particular moment, but it changes your head 
on what it is that you can do, what changes you can make and how you can step forward in your life so that you can really own yourself, the good, the parts of yourself that you appreciate, you think are icky. We all have cringeworthy places, but we need to own it all, take it forward and really utilize what we have so that we can create our personal and our professional success. Anything you do is better than doing nothing. Yeah. Just remembering you have the agency, you have the power. We have a couple more steps left, I think, in your, your method or have we gotten to, are we, are we at the finish line? Well, we're, we're at the finish line in step number four. Um, oh, I thought it was six steps. Sorry. <laughs> hold on, no, this is, we're doing four steps to change your belief. Okay. Six steps for disruptive self-ownership. Right, this right. This is just the changing the belief part. The, the whole, you know, the whole disruptive self-ownership process. That's another conversation. Yeah, that's a whole, that's a, that's a book your time with Dr. Risa. And the book I'm writing actually. Oh, tell us about that. Oh, I'm 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 in the proposal stages. So I I oh. bow to you that you're that you're in that. Sending you all the good vibes. I'm taking the- it. Yeah, but it's about it's about disruptive self ownership, and that's what I'm that's what I'm going to be writing about. So the book is in the proposal phase, and I'll I'll keep you up to date. Please do. Yes, I love speaking to therapists, and particularly the ones who work in the New York area, um, because, and I'm generalizing here, but you know, New Yorkers are those who come to New York to build a career and build a life there. I think we all share in this desire to, we think big, we, we, we are maybe disruptive in some ways. We, uh, are willing to take chances coming to New York. There's a lot of like hopes and dreams come travel all the way here from all over the world and all over the country. And, these individuals, some of them become your clients. Are there repetitive patterns that you're seeing and that you think might have something to do with the energy that is in New York that can be very competitive as well, very fast paced? Yeah. Uh, it's sometimes it's like winners take all mentality. It can be a sort of a doggy dog town. I mean, I'm speaking as someone who worked in the media for for over a decade and, and experienced yes. it, witnessed it firsthand. Take us behind the scenes of your practice and helping the New Yorkers. There are many, many components of it. And some of it, let's just start with success and belief that there's, there can be a belief that success looks like this. And this is the only thing that success looks like. And so one of the pieces, and it's very easy to get caught up in that in New York, Right. Right. Bigger, better, more, et cetera, et cetera. One of the important pieces is really going back into yourself and asking yourself, what does success mean to you? And so that you really are living your picture of success and not somebody else's picture of success Mm -hmm. or the picture of success that maybe you had when you were 16. Maybe that needs to be updated or a picture of success that you had at 20. We just because we had a picture of success at one point in time doesn't mean that that's what we need to stay with. Right. And often, you know, if you if that's really your picture, then go for it. But if that's not your picture, be true to yourself because you don't have to live somebody else's dream. You don't have to live somebody else's vision. It's most important to live the vision that you want. And so that's one place. And people can get really stuck and hung up on that and therefore feel anxious and feel down and feel not enough. There's a difference between getting a level of success and looking for challenge. 
you can be at your success level. And it doesn't mean that you have to up the whole thing. It can mean that you've you've reached some things and that there are certain aspects of you that have been fulfilled. And now you're looking for some other kind of challenge, something mm-hmm. that sparks your, you know, sparks you. What's your North Star? Where are your values? How do you want to live with impact? And also, what is it that puts the twinkle, that puts the sparkle into your own eyes? Make sure you don't leave that out. I love it. I love what you said about remembering your 16-year-old self and the success model that you may have been designing for yourself all those years ago. But the question really to ask is, would you want your 16-year-old self to be this miserable in the pursuit of that success model? Uh, We don't know when we're building the model what it's going to take or whether we're going to like it. And now that you're older and have the experience, you know, there's a, there's a heartbreak a little bit in that where you're like, oh, I'm letting down the 16 year old me, but you want to be honest with that 16 year old. Right. And to recognize that when you were younger, you didn't have the full picture. You weren't living it as you are now. And, and it's okay. Your 16 year old self would have mostly wanted to just grow up and be happy, not grow up and be beholden to a particular way of achieving success at all costs. Wanted to just add to that because I do that a lot. You know, I go back to my younger self. What I want to stick up for that younger self of Farnoosh, right? Like ultimately that's all I want to do. I just want to make her proud, make her feel as though all the hard work paid off. Oh my gosh. I think about myself at 16 and I think about you know, the, the wishes and the visions and the, what's going to look like and what it's going to be like for me. But that 16 year old who you, you want to honor, because that's also, we don't disown ourselves. We take ourselves with us wherever we go, you know, and that, that, that 16 year old is still there. I mean, that's still there in you. And what the 16 year old couldn't know is what the world looks like now and how we communicate differently, how we interact differently, the changes that have happened in the world and how we've needed to adapt to them. She couldn't know that. She had the, you know, she had that, uh, you know, that beautiful courageousness of adolescence and the adolescent brain, uh, the adolescent brain, that's a certain point in, in life. The rules don't matter. I'm going to figure this out. But the 16-year-old also can't know what the, you know, what life looks like, the changes, the risks, the, risks, yeah, the, the right. you know, falling in love and you think it's going to be this and it turns out to be heartbreak. Oh, the heartbreak. Everybody's got heartbreak that happens and what you learn from it. And you thought it was going to look like that, but it really looks like this. But this isn't a bad mm-hmm. thing. It's a different thing. Dr. Risa Riger, thank you so much. How can we continue to stay in touch with you? Tell us. I would love that. I think your community is really extraordinary. And so first of all, you can follow me on Instagram, Riger. And I have an Instagram live called Disruptive Conversations with Dr. Risa Riger. And I drop information about all the things that we've been talking about all the time. So please do follow me. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me at my website. And also, if you are following me on, on Instagram and then you DM me the word 
Farnoosh. Ooh. If you, as a, you'll receive my stress checklist and guide as a thank you. And this guide breaks down a few simple steps that you can take daily to help you decrease and manage stress so that you can be more present and available to live your 10.0 life. I love that. So DM Dr. Risa Riger, the word Farnoosh. You get an allowance for misspelling it because it can. <laughs> My name is misspelled, mispronounced all the yeah. time. You'll know what they mean it, when they write like just Baba Yeah, yeah, it's like, you like know. Just an F. That'll with be- autocorrect makes it furniture or whatever it does these days. Yeah, uh, you'll know that it's for me and coming to you. So, Dr. Risa, thank you so much. Farnoosh has been such a pleasure to be continued. Thanks to Dr. Risa for joining us. Remember her special offer, DM her on Instagram with the word Farnoosh, F-A-R-N-O-O-S-H, and you'll receive her stress checklist and guide all for free. Plus all the links on how to reach Dr. Risa in our show notes. I'll see you back here for Ask Farnoosh Friday. I hope your day is so money. Money.